welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to the episode. I'm so happy you're here. I just got home from Minnesota last night, so I'm a little slow today. And I'm a little sad. I cried most of the flight home. I left Minnesota and I was so excited to move to Miami. And I never imagined I could live somewhere so amazing. And it took me a really long time to miss home. And now I miss home and it's so hard to leave. It doesn't help that when I left, the last people that I saw were my exact family. My mom and my dad, my brother and my sister. And so it just feels terrible to be like, bye. I'm going back in August for the fair and for my friend and client Lulu's wedding. So that will be awesome. It's already booked. So it's just a few weeks away, but it just sucks. It sucks to just not be accessible for them to just not be accessible to me at any time and to be like, not be a part of what's going on there. And I think, I think the thing I miss the most is just the feeling the home is home is home is home. And I think most people, lots of people I know have left where they were born and live somewhere else. So you know what I mean? Um, but the minute I see Minneapolis out that airplane window, I get just so freaking excited. I can barely breathe. I can barely move. I can't, I can't stop making this big, weird, giant (gasps) face and It just feels like my whole system becomes in sync with the air or something. And it just, it's the best feeling to go home. And so coming home here last night was also lovely to, you know, feel that air hit my face. It's hot. It's humid. It's Miami. My Lyft driver had to Google Translate his message. <laughs> I'm back to the land of Spanish as the main language. I, I love Miami. It's I'm so lucky to get to live here, but home is home is not in just one place anymore. And it's hard. But it was a great trip. My son was there. I had not seen Steven since Christmas. And every time I see him, he gets a little bit more mature. Thank God. Uh, he and I have been through a lot together. I have a podcast all about Steven. His birthday is next month. So if you want to go back in the archives and listen to it, it's a really good episode. I know he listened to it many times. He liked hearing his own episode. Um, but I hadn't seen him since Christmas and at Christmas, I only got like 36 hours with him because of the flight situations at the time with Southwest and weather. It was so, it was such a crappy situation, but got him for a whole weekend and he was already there when we arrived so Gus and Roy and I landed and uh everyone was already assembled my niece flew in from North Carolina with her husband and then Stephen had arrived the day before and everybody was all together at my sister's house and I just got to walk in and see everybody and it was the best it was the best so um Stephen is showing he's just becoming more and more of a man and that's good we we've had our moments but um, Sunday morning before everybody else was up, he and I hopped in the car at sunrise and went to get coffee 
and he needed coffee and donuts because he is my son. And we just had such a wonderful morning of just connection. I when I when he used to drive me around when he lived um, in Minnesota. We both lived in Minnesota. If we were driving somewhere, I usually let him drive, and I'd reach over and rub his neck while he drove. And it's just like instinctual. I get in the passenger seat, he's driving, and I reach over and I get to rub my little boy's head. He he love loves having his his head and his scalp just massaged. And so just driving with my little boy right there. One got coffee and it was such a beautiful morning. The sunrise there is was beautiful. And I looked over at him and I just I was just overcome with gratitude because I made so many mistakes parenting him. I made so many mistakes. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, he was mad at me for a really long time. And he had a chip on his shoulder for good reason because there was a lot of crap that happened that wasn't his fault that he had to deal with. And I've made amends to him and he has, you know, we've we've patched all that stuff up. And it just I just looked at him and I was like, Stephen, thank you so much for forgiving me, for giving for for showing me grace for accepting my apologies, for accepting my shortcomings and not holding it all against me the rest of the way. You know, it'd be very easy for him to be like, like I've been, which is holding, you know, I've held my mom's feet to the fire for my whole adult life until very recently. And he hasn't done that. He just loves on me. And thank you, Stephen, for, for just loving me, for being so good to me and letting me be your mom. I have so many regrets. And he said, no, mom, listen, the rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield for a reason. And I was like, go. <laughs> That's my boy. He made an analogy. Not only did he make an analogy that was so perfect and beautiful, but he made an analogy. I'm the queen of analogies and metaphors. And my son used one on me. It was, it was the best. And he's absolutely right. Spending all of our time looking behind us is a waste of energy. And we've got this big, bright windshield that looks into the future and the potential of what could be that's where we should be focusing on and so he was right and it was such a little lovely moment um that coffee hit really well because that first night at my sister's house it was very funny and I didn't tell her for a couple of days because I didn't want her to be upset about it or worry about it but my sister graciously hosted everybody at her house that was out from out of town so my son my niece and her husband and Roy and me and so we stayed, we opted to choose the air mattress in the basement because there's also a bathroom down there. So we wouldn't have to share a bathroom. And I don't care about sleeping on an air mattress. Well, I do care about sleeping on an air mattress that deflates every hour, which is what happened. Our first night there, we got like no sleep because I would, we blew it up, conked out, so tired. And then an hour later, wake up, oh, shoot. And we were like like in a pile of nothingness. So plug it back in, turn it on, it's really loud. Fill it back up, go back to sleep, thinking it was just a fluke. Nope, hour later, (laughs) we're basically on the floor. So we didn't get a lot of sleep that first night, but whatever. It was unseasonably hot. So we landed with Miami weather, which didn't bother us, but everyone else was dying. And my sister didn't have air conditioning in her house. We just had window units, but it was fine. I mean, I, it was fine. But my mother was sitting at the table on Saturday night and she said, oh, I hate summer. And I was like, mother, this is why your winters are so terrible. God just heard you. 
that you're going to get punished for saying that. You're not allowed to complain about the heat in Minnesota because you'll just get an extra long winter this next year. Like how, how ignorant can, of this can you be? But she really doesn't have, she doesn't like winter or summer. I don't know what she likes. She likes a perfectly 68 degree, no humidity, perfect breeze day. Don't we all, Barb? Don't we all? Anyway. Um, so it was lovely. It was lovely to arrive. It was lovely to see everybody. My sister's wedding reception was lovely. Um, it was like an open house style event at a country club. She got to just go around and talk to all of her guests and they got to meet Matt. I got to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a really long time. Uh, Matt, my new brother-in-law is related to a lot of people that I haven't seen since I was very little because they were part of our church and then they left or I and I left and so it was, you know, there was a lot of, wow, I haven't seen you in a long time, um, if not 25 years, 30 years. Um, so that was cool. But for the most part, my brother and Roy and me and my son and my niece, we all just kind of made up the kids table and just had fun talking and hanging out and making fun of some old memories and reminiscing a bit and kind of cluing Roy in on some of the... Um, idiosyncrasies of some of the funny stories from our past. So it was fun. Samantha and um, Ella, my sister has two stepkids. Her stepdaughter, Bella, is uh, 13 and she's just amazing. But she's not an incredibly girly girl and she's just kind of coming into her own as far as shifting into being a lady, whatever. And so I had bought a dress for the day that was that didn't fit. So I bought another one and before I had sent the smaller one back, I had offered to Sam, my niece, to say, hey, if you don't have a, a dress to wear for your mom's thing, I can bring this and maybe we could match. It'd be fun. Maybe your mom would like that. And she was down. So I told Rachel and she said, hey, get one for Bella too. Maybe the three of you can match. So I did. So I put mine on. I loved the dress. Sam put hers on. She was just okay with it. And Bella put hers on and she looked like she wanted to die. It was like, listen, let's just wear these for family pictures. Then you could take it off. So it was fun for about 20 minutes. The three of us matched. And then uh, Sam took hers off like it was burning her alive. Bella kept hers on, but I don't know that she loved it. But it was fun. Um, I loved my dress. It was, it was made in China. So in China, I'm an extra large. Hence why there were so many sizes purchased. But um, I love shopping on Amazon sidebar. I know it's, you know, goes against all of the everything for sustainable, buy local, small shop, all those things, but I'm sorry, I don't have a lot of time. So I can go on there and order a dress. It gets shipped to me and then I try it on. If it doesn't fit, I go across the street to the UPS store. I send that puppy right back. I get my money back. I don't have to go to a store. I don't have to go do this whole, I have to go shopping thing that people do. No, it's amazing. So hence why I had a pile of dresses like that, which is, which is fine. And since I don't have a car anymore, um, it's even better. So um, I sold my car, even though I don't, I sold my car for nothing. <laughs> we never used the car. I never, ever, ever drove here. And while I love, love, loved my little Mazda Miata convertible, little pop can car, two seater, amazing, best car ever. I had so much fun in it. Now I'm all of a sudden feeling emotional talking about it, but I never drove it and I had a loan on it. And I'm like, this is stupid. Why am I paying a loan on something I don't use? It's, it's ridiculous. So decided to sell it. So over a month ago now, I sold it to a dealership. I'll just say 
Brickle Buick GMC. And I was going to sell it private party, but took it in there. They gave me a really good offer on it. And I thought, well, it'll be faster to sell it to them versus this whole have people come, do test drives. And it's Miami. I don't know what kind of shysters live here, but, you know, doing business in Miami makes me want to vomit. And turns out it doesn't matter who you're doing business with in Miami. You should still vomit. Um, So I sold it to them that day. And they said, okay, in about two weeks, um, we'll send you a check after we pay this off and get the title. And so at the two-week mark, I called them to say, hey, is my check ready? I got transferred, 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 hung up on over and over again. So Roy and I were going for a bike ride on one of his days off. And I said, let's just, let's, on our bike ride, let's end up at Brickell in, at the dealership, which is, I don't know how far it is. It's not that far. It's about an hour and 20-minute bike ride tops. We went to Target on the way and had Starbucks. So it was fun. But so we biked there. I went in. Um, they sent me up to accounting. Accounting had no idea who I was. They had no idea who to talk to. The salesman I talked to originally, I tracked him down and he said, oh yeah, well, I mean, it takes, like I said, it takes about four weeks. And I was like, a hundred percent. You did not tell me four weeks. If you had told me four weeks, I wouldn't have sold it to you. I would have used four weeks to find someone else who would have given me more money. So 100% you are lying to me. You did not say four weeks. He said, well, no, I mean, at the, the worst case, it should for sure, your check should be ready this week. I said, okay, I need you to call me when my check is ready because I don't have a car. So I need to bike here or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, it's a little inconvenient, but it's fine. Did not hear from him. So waited another week. Again, tried to call. Call, transfer, 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 hung up on. Anyway, it was just a nightmare of calling. Receptionist wouldn't, would not transfer to the manager, said the manager was not in, that she was the only person in the building. Like, it was ridiculous. So we went out of town, came back, still have no check, still have no notice of check. In the meantime, they have sold the car. So I gave them my car, they have sold it, they have made profit, and I have nothing. So I'm a little pissed. I got the letter from my loan saying that the loan was paid off and that they sent the title to Brickle Motors and that happened. It's been over, it's been a month now since that happened. So I might need to go stand in front of Brickle GMC Buick and I don't know, what what could I do to make them angry enough to say make her go away? I don't know, sing? (laughs) I just walk in there and just start yelling. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I feel like I don't have any recourse. Obviously, I have paperwork saying I sold them my car. But um, anyway, that's a long story. But I'm really pissed. I, I am not out a whole lot. Like, I don't need the money to live. And I don't need a vehicle. That's why I sold it. But what if it was someone who did? This is a big deal. This would be a really big deal to most people, I think, to have no car and no money to buy a different car. Um, so it's really quite, it's quite egregious. Anyway, um, what else? That was a sidebar. Um, oh, my podcast last week, amazing feedback from a couple, um, of people that really just, it was amazing to hear from you. So last week, the episode was the interview with my friend, Rachel. We talked about the book, how to become a non-drinker by Alan Carr. It's a phenomenal book. And we talked about how it changed her from being a drinker to now she's been sober over, I don't know, I guess it's 110 days. 
And I applied the concept to my relationship with sugar. And I just went on this trip home with uh, events and parties and eating out and wedding cake and pie and all of my favorite everythings. And I didn't have any sugar. And it didn't even tempt me. It wasn't willpower. I wasn't missing out. It was zero impact. So I should be, I should clarify. So I'll allow myself up to three grams of added sugar in something if it's not like a treat necessarily. Um, like some keto things will have a little bit of added sugar. So that's my line. But like anything that is just a sweet treat or dessert, absolutely not. I'm not eating them anymore. I'm not, it's not, they're not a part of my life. It's a lie that they have ever given me any pleasure. It's a lie that they serve any purpose in my life. They do not do anything for me. They taste pleasant for a moment, but it's a lie that they do anything other than make me feel sick, hurt my relationship with my body, make my body feel bad, inhibit my ability to live happily and healthy, and they mess up my relationship with other foods. And so there is, there is, I'm not giving up anything. I'm so relieved to not eat sugar. It is the happiest fact of my life that I went on this trip. I didn't have a sugar crash. I didn't get sick. I didn't go into a food coma. I didn't regret anything that I ate. It was, it's so freeing. And so I got some feedback um, that some of you have been off of alcohol since listening to the episode, that you bought the book, that you've been reading the book, that you've passed it on to other people. So thank you for that. If you didn't listen to that episode, even if you're not, it's not for the problem drinker or the alcoholic. It's about anybody, for anybody that has alcohol as part of their life at all. Listen to the episode, read the book. You will be so amazed at how you will feel free to make a choice a choice based on logic. And you may find that you've been believing a lot of lies that you didn't even know you were believing, like most of us. Um, so I'm, I'm loving the feedback on that. Another note, I have stopped doing daily episodes. I asked about that in a couple episodes ago. Hey, if you really like them, let me know. Um, I didn't hear from anybody. And then since I stopped doing them, I haven't heard from anybody saying, hey, where are they? So I don't have an infinite, infinite amount of time in spending time doing things that are not necessarily serving a great purpose is something that I have to start tweaking down. So in response to that, I'm just trying to make these weekly episodes a little bit more meaty, a little bit more substantial and meaningful and a little more thought out. And, um, and then I've started a Facebook group accountability group. So this is a great, a great use of my time that I'm more excited about. Um, it's a Facebook group. I'm posting in there just about every day, some kind of information or motivation. But the main thing is a weekly Facebook live where it's a chance to talk about, um, a challenge for the week. So the point is you're going to set goals each week in this group. If you join the group, a movement goal and a nutrition goal and a habit goal. And week by week this summer, really be intentional about living a healthy lifestyle and focusing on one habit at a time, the things that make you feel good, that get you to your goals, whether that's weight loss or better fitness or just simply feeling better. And then each week I'm throwing out a challenge. So this week the challenge is to hit a protein goal five out of seven days. Last week the challenge was to walk six out of seven days. Um, so just something interesting each week to really have you focus in. So join that Facebook group. It's called The Kristen Experience. And you can post what you're doing. You can post your goals. You can post feedback. You can 
post um, comments on other people. It's just going to be really fun. It's uh, This is week two, and so it's just starting to grow if you're interested in that. It's free, it's fun, and um, it's going to go on for the for the summer. So, um, so back home, um, another recommendation for you. On the plane, I watched the Amazon Prime documentary series. It's four parts called Shiny Happy People. And it focuses on the Duggar family and the scandals that happened in their family and their show. But basically, it talks about their involvement with IBLP, which is the Institute of Basic Life Principles led by Bill Gothard. Now, I was raised in a church that was a cult, um, religious organization, church. There's, you know, a lot of people that would argue that it was not a cult, mostly the people that are still involved and who never left would say, it's not a cult. My mom gets very upset when I call it a cult. So um, I'm sorry, it, it, it is, it was a cult. Um, but um, Bill Gothard and his Institute of Basic Life Principles was not a church. It was, a, I don't even know what you call it. It was an organization teaching people how to live a really structured, character-filled, Bible-based lifestyle. So there, his product and his programs were used by churches around the country, around the world. And he started training centers for young people and a big homeschool program. And so while our church was insular, we were just a small religious church as our cult. I mean, Bill Gothard was kind of like our pope. Like everything he taught, everything he believed in about lifestyle was um, was just part of what we did. He had seminars he would come to Minneapolis. We'd go to his seminars for the entire week. He had two of them, a basic and an advanced. And then some people in our church enrolled their families in his full programs, the homeschooling program. They sent their kids to his training academies for the women, for the, for the men, and um, very fully immersed. It was very expensive. And so my parents, we did not have money. I'm grateful because if we had been sent to that or been using that, Oh, dear God, I can only imagine how screwed up, um, how more screwed up maybe I would be. <laughs> anyway, this documentary goes into it all in detail, and I watched all of it on the plane. It was so fascinating because um, Bill Gothard is just, is just a really big part of the framework of my growing up. And like anything, started out innocently enough. This is what happens. Something starts out innocently enough and an idea catches on and then power happens and and people start putting other humans on a pedestal and especially in religious or spiritual or um, doctrinal based things, people stop focusing on their gut, their relationship with God and themselves and their conscience and they associate a person with that. And they start to make all of their decisions based on that person and what that person would say or do or teach. And all of a sudden you have this blind sheep following a leader situation. And that is when it becomes a problem because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Human beings are human beings. And especially with vulnerable um, minded people, a lot of the people who follow these cults and these leaders like them, they're not the, they're not incredibly intelligent people. Um, I'm generalizing, but I mean, I, from what I saw there, I shouldn't say that. Not that they're not intelligent. They lack common sense. They're looking for some kind of a framework to structure life around because life is too dynamic 
for them to grapple with. There's a lot of fear and anxiety in religious organizations and especially in really deeply fundamental, um, fundamental based religious organizations. That's how they take control. If they can get you to be afraid, if they can teach you that if you leave, bad things will happen, you have grown adults with families with a lot to lose um, hanging on, even when they start to see their leaders do things that they uh, previously would have been appalled at. It's a slow and subtle shift, and it's very sad. It's very sad. The moral of the story is to be wise about who you take counsel from, to be wise about who you listen to, to listen with an open heart and also to try and test all things and see what resonates with the core of you. Um, It's so important to be wise. And this documentary highlights that so much. And the Duggar family were on TV and they didn't highlight a lot of the things that were going on, but they were the poster children for the IBLP. And uh, it just—it all turned into scandal. There was—it's always—it um, seems like in these types of groups, it turns into some kind of scandal, and most of the time, it's sexual, um, and which is very sad. It's tragic because lives are ruined, and um, it's really sad. But fascinating to watch. I recommend it. If you were involved in any of the IBLP, I would—I just would say be cautious. I had some pretty traumatic trauma responses watching some of it. It was so um, difficult to hear some of the subject matter and see some of it played out because it just, it's so close to home in some of my experiences. I mean, they had this guy demonstrating on stage how to spank your child. And it was so, it was so painful. I couldn't, I was was on the airplane. I start like hyperventilating, sobbing right when the flight attendant was like, hi, would you like some coffee? I'm like, coffee, cream, oh, okay. It was really embarrassing. So I will say if you have any trauma in the spanking, abuse, beating arena, or you saw things growing up in that arena, be careful, especially episode three. So, and then the other thing I'll say about it, which I wasn't intending to talk about it, the thing I hate about documentaries like this is they tend to interview people who have a beef in general with these types of things. For instance, they were interviewing and getting the feedback from this woman who has a YouTube channel called Fundy Fridays, where she mocks fundamentalist Christians in general. And so I'm like, how is this relevant? You have someone who hates fundamentalist Christians, all of them, and has been obviously hurt by a group of them. Why is this person then the authority on why all fundamentalists are terrible and then applying it to this group? Well, this group of people, I, I would never defend um, and say they were great. It's, it's, it's really irresponsible, I believe, in any kind of documentary to have someone who has a genuine beef for a reason completely outside of the scope of what you're talking about to be interviewed and be giving sound bites. I was really upset about that. And then they also wound it up with saying, basically implying that this group was not just a training facility for kids and homeschooling and fundamentalists, that they intend to take over the world and train up an army to infiltrate the United States and the world. I'm like, what? They weren't even educating us. How, like a bunch of like back, like backwards, (laughs) uneducated people 
walking around in bibs and weird clothes in like they're not there's not going to be an army of homeschooled nerds that you need to be afraid of okay you just know i mean yeah there it's dangerous a lot of these things but they're these are not people that are going to take over the world there's not enough of them and they don't they don't really know what they're doing so to to imply that they're so dangerous, I was like, come on. That that really bothered me. I, I didn't know anybody um, in any of my experience that was dangerous. I mean, maybe dangerously stupid. But, um, I mean, I shouldn't really say that. There are some really smart, educated uh, adults. But those smart, educated adults were raising their kids without an actual education. And most of them didn't go to college and were not able to function in the world. They did them a disservice. They certainly didn't gear them up to take over anything. So anyway, watch it. I would love your feedback once you see it because Bill Gothard was like, I mean, Bill Gothard's voice rings in my head all the time. I still hear him in my daily life, in my head. Like he is as ingrained in the sounds of my brain as my mother's voice, as, um, I don't know who else. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> For those of you like Ryan Seacrest, like, you know what his voice sounds like, right? That's Bill Gothard to me. He was like our Pope. He was our Dick Clark on New Year's Eve. By the way, we went to church every New Year's Eve. And the first year I didn't go to church was when I was an adult and married and had my son. And I watched what people watch on New Year's Eve, the ball dropping and Dick Clark's rocking New Year's Eve. I was so shocked that that's what people do. this This is what America chooses to do on New Year's Eve. We have a ball on a stick that falls down as you count. And we have Dick Clark in Times Square and everyone's just waving thingies. This... It was so anticlimactic. I don't know what I was expecting, but I really thought I was missing out on something incredibly, massively so cool. No, you guys, America celebrates with a stick, with a ball on it that just comes down. That that was the biggest surprise to me. The old Dick Clark guy and a stick with a ball on it. It was very, very, very shocking. I still can't believe that's the best that we've come up with for New Year's Eve. Again, I don't know what I was expecting, but your whole life when you feel like you're missing out on something so cool that everyone else does, and then you see what it is, and it's a a ball on a stick, you're like, what? What?" (laughs) Uh, So that's one thing I guess I I really didn't miss out on anything. (laughs) You guys missed out because you guys did not march around the interior of your church sanctuary at midnight singing a song called Victory Ahead. Now that is how you ring in the new year. That is memorable and cool. Victory ahead in the new year at midnight with all your church friends. Midnight. Anyway, how I have digressed. So sorry. All right, that's it. You're caught up. We're going to get into the meat of the episode next. Today, I'm going to talk about my seven pillars of wisdom. This is a podcast I've been kind of working on for a while. In fact, it was back when I was in Italy in March that I had some time to really think and journal and ponder. And whenever I'm able to get away like that, I'm able to really come up with some really 
deep insights into who I am and what I think. And um, I had been playing with this idea that I had read that basically said, when you learn a lesson over and over again, and you have to repeat that same lesson, basically you are not being wise. Because when you learn something, the wisdom that you glean is for your use. So you don't have to make the same mistakes or learn the same lesson over and over again. So if you trip on the same stick on the path, if you don't look down to avoid that stick in the future, you're not using the wisdom that you learned that there's a stick there. And so to, to live a wise life means applying the principles of wisdom that you've learned from experience so that you don't continue to make the same mistakes. And I find that in life, I swirl a lot. I make the same mistakes over and over again. I get really, really frustrated. And at the point in time that I was contemplating this, I was feeling like, why do I keep coming back to these same things? Why do I have to keep learning these things over and over again? I want to live with wisdom. And so I determined to um, come up with a list of the wisdoms, the seven wisdoms that I have learned without a doubt, the things I really know from experience start to start my day by listing these things to remind myself of the wisdom that I have learned so that I don't go out and make those same mistakes ever again, ideally. And why seven? Well, as I was kind of thinking about this and it was coming to my mind, there's a Bible verse that came to me um, from Proverbs. And um, it's a it's a Bible verse on wisdom. And it's funny because, you know, I was raised to memorize the Bible. I was raised in church. I talk a lot about cult church and all of that. And um, often I talk about it maybe detrimentally, but one of the greatest things about it is putting a lot of that information into your brain at a young age, that gets the good and the bad, is that it comes back to you. It doesn't just go away. And so often in life, a song, a hymn, a Bible verse will come to me and the wisdom of it, the truth of it will be undeniable. There's a lot of really, really good stuff in the Bible. If you've never read it, I I encourage you to. Um, And so this line kept coming to me. Wisdom has builded her house. In Proverbs, in the Bible, wisdom is referred to as a female with a her, with a pronoun of her. So King James Version, wisdom hath builded Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. So basically, wisdom has built a house with seven pillars. A seven-pillar house is very difficult to knock over. It is solid. And that just kept coming to me, coming to me. It's Proverbs 9.1, by the way, in case you are uh, want to look it up. And so it, I thought, what is what are my seven pillars of wisdom? And so I came up with them. And these, when I start my day by writing these and committing these to my heart again, I go out and I live by wisdom. So now I encourage you to come up with your list of seven, seven lessons you have learned, seven pieces of wisdom you have gleaned from your life that you want to live by. These are in no particular order, essentially for me, just the ones that came to me first. And uh, the first one might make you chuckle because you might say, really? But number one, sugar is poison. This is wisdom that I know for sure. Sugar is poison. When I eat sugar, it affects my mood negatively. It steals my joy. Now, in the moment, I'm blissful. Oh my gosh, this is so good. I love it. But inevitably, I have a crash. Inevitably, it affects my mood. It steals my joy. Inevitably, it also steals my energy. Sugar is a carbohydrate. It gives you energy. But for me, I have such a crash that I'm exhausted. I'm tanked. 
The only time I can eat sugar where that doesn't happen is if I do it while I'm on a run or on a bike ride, which doesn't happen very often. So for me, sugar is poison. It steals my joy. It steals my energy. It steals my health. It is terrible for me to be eating sugar. Everyone in my family is diabetic. I'm predisposed to diabetes. I was once 400 pounds. Sugar is poison to me. So that is, that is wisdom pillar number one, which is one of the reasons why I'm so excited that I do not eat sugar anymore. Sugar does not tempt me. It is not a part of my life. Finally, finally, I'm applying this fully. Sugar is poison is my number one pillar of wisdom. Number two, this one is so important. I am a soul. I have a body. I have proven the, the, the need for this little bit of wisdom over and over again. When this gets backwards, when I start focusing on my body and ignoring who I am, everything falls apart because I've gotten it backwards. I started out gaining weight because I didn't value myself. I, I didn't take care of myself. I didn't look for good coping skills. I hadn't been taught good coping skills, but I had given up on myself and therefore my body started to get more and more unhealthy. And the thing that changed it for me was when I started to value myself so much so that I was willing and incentivized by that value to take care of my body. So when I realize and focus on how magnificently valuable my soul is and how I want to experience life as me, then I want to take care of my body because my body is what brings me out at the door, brings me to be in front of people to do my work. My body is the most important asset that I have. If my body stops working, I can't go. My soul is stuck in the body in the bed. If the body stops working, the body goes in the bed or in a wheelchair. And that's, that's where my soul lives. My soul doesn't get to go anywhere. So my body is a vehicle. That's why I take care of it. That's why I invest in it. That's why I serve it. That's why I do the hard things to make sure it is healthy and, and can take my soul out into the world. So I am a soul. I have a body that is wisdom that when I let that rule my day, everything falls into place. Number three, work conquers worry. I get very anxious and worried about making my budget. I work for myself now. I don't get a paycheck. I, if I don't generate clients, if I don't work hard, if I don't continue to build my businesses, I, I will be bankrupt. I will not be able to pay my rent. Every month is a question mark. I don't have a guarantee of where my next dollar is coming from. I definitely have a lot of work to do to continue to build my business. And when I sit here and I get all spun up and worried and stressed out, I'm useless. I don't do good work. And all my energy is spent swirling. And when I can just interfere with that worry and sit down and do some work, everything is as it should be. Because when I show up and work hard, A, I earn money, and B, I put the energy where it needs to be, which is generating the revenue, generating the money, fixing the thing that I'm worried about. So work conquers worry. 
when I start getting frustrated, I'm going to go sit down and make phone calls. I'm going to sit down and send an email. I'm going to go and and market a program. I'm going to go continue to work on something that I'm going to be selling later. I'm going to reach out to clients. I'm going to work. And not only does it generate income and build the things that I need, it gives me energy. It gives me the vision out the windshield instead of looking at what could happen and how I don't have enough. So anytime you find yourself worried, I encourage you to try that little as a mantra. Work conquers worry. I can't fix anything by worrying about it and I can't generate any kind of income for my future by worrying. What I can do is work. That, that solves that problem. Same with if you're worried about relationship or you're worried about a dynamic. I'm so worried about how it's going to go when I'm with my sister later. I'm so worried about how it's going to go when I see my family. What can you do to ensure that it's a good experience instead of worrying about it? Maybe you can send a card ahead. Maybe you can um, give them a phone call. Hey, I'm excited to see you. Maybe you can think of something to do kind for them. Maybe there's something you can do. Can you do some work instead of the worry? Number four, my inner child is my leader. Kind of sticking with, uh, going along with number three. When I get busy, when I get focused on tasks and all of those things which are just fine, and I forget who I really am, everything stops being fun. Everything starts to be harder than it needs to be. I am not enjoyable to be around, and I don't have anything new to offer the people that come to me. I have to remember my inner child, little Chrissy. She is the one who gives all of the direction. She is the one who I serve. She is me. And the logical mind that I have, the work mind, the task, the subconscious of just survival is fine. But that's just my survival drive. That's not my heart and soul. So if I can stop and settle that down and I can think, what would Chrissy do? Well, Chrissy would dance. Chrissy would smile at someone. Chrissy would look someone in the eye and compliment their shirt. Chrissy, Chrissy would, would ignore the dishes and dance in the living room for five minutes. When I pay attention to my inner child, life becomes worth living. Action verb living, joyfully living, And then all those tasks that I still have to do become something else. They become an expression of me. They become a part of the happy, joyful life that I have. My inner child is my leader. When I put her first, everything falls into place. I've learned this over and over and over and over again. Why do I forget? (laughs) Look, Chrissy, your inner child, key into, clue into, listen to your inner child. For me, it's a huge pillar of wisdom. Number five, reading and movement are my fuel. What do I mean by that? Well, when I start my day by reading, by putting information in, by putting wisdom from others who have gone before me into my brain and into my heart, I'm setting up my heart and my soul to operate in the best possible way. It turns my soul into a sponge to learn and to express differently. And then movement. When I move my body first, It gets everything moving together. My heart is awake. My system is humming. I have taken care of my body first so that I can then focus on all the other things that have to be done. Reading and fuel, reading and movement are my fuel. 
If I do that first every day, I've got a full tank. I've got a, a heart that's been fed. I've got a body that's been turned on and motivated and greased up and activated. And I can go out and do all the things. Reading and movement are my fuel. The days that I don't have time to read, to invest into my heart and soul, the days I don't have time to move first, they just don't go the same. I just don't have the things to offer that I need, especially in my job, to be able to offer to people that come to me. You can't pour from an empty cup. And I can't train people's bodies if mine is not being trained by me. Number six, a big one, let people be people. I have people that rub me the wrong way that are not ideal people that I love to spend all my time with, but they're in my life. What do I do? I used to let them have way too much real estate in my head and I'd worry too much about what they thought, what they expected. I'd get too worked up by their responses or their behaviors and pretty soon my joy, my peace, my ability to enjoy my life was being taken by me. By me. I was, they weren't doing it to me. I was letting them control too much of how I felt. I was letting them have too much real estate in my head. And when I grabbed this idea, let people be people, let them be who they are. I'm going to show up the best that I can. How they respond is none of my business. Now, if I know what they need from me, I can prioritize that happening. If I know that this person really just needs to feel important in my life and feel like they matter, then I need to make sure that I convey that, period. And then if they choose to not take it well or if they still choose to get upset or feel slighted, that is not my problem. That is not, I don't have to manage that. I have to let them be them. All I can do is love the people that are in my life and let them be them. Do my very best. And let them be them. If they're going to be annoying and loud, let them be annoying and loud. If they're going to be rude to other people and it's going to make me cringe, let them be rude to other people and cringe. Let them be them. I need others to let me be me. I'm not always going to bring my best self. Other people are not going to understand why I react or respond or behave the way that I do. I don't like it when people chew in front of me, but I chew in front of other people. I'm a hypocrite. I like it when people let me be a hypocrite in that way. Uh, it, you know, should I fix it? Yes. <laughs> but it's the greatest gift that I can give myself by letting people be people. It frees me so much. I can't tell you how much mental angst uh, this one particular person had given me. I, I talked about them all the time. I was always complaining about them. I was imagining how they were going to respond. I was imagining what they were going to say. It was constant. And they were going about their life having no idea that they were living in my brain rent-free. I was letting them, I was basically bringing all of the trash of how they behaved into my own world. For what? I became a happier person when I set it down. I'm just going to let them be them. So let people be, be, be people. Number seven, I have the power to change my life every single day. Uh, to paraphrase, I say it a lot. My life doesn't have to stay the same for one more day. If there is ever anything I don't like about my life, I can change it. So if I wake up in the morning and say, man, I really don't like where I live, I can change it. Do I want to change it? Mm, I don't want to change it today. Maybe I'll change it tomorrow. But instead of saying, I don't like this, I don't like that, I feel stuck here, to say, I have the power to change it. My life doesn't have to stay the same for one more day. Now, do I want to change anything in my life today? If so, let's get to it. 
If not, let's move forward. My life doesn't have to stay the same. I always have the power to change my life. I always have the power to change my life. I could move to Nevada and start a butterfly museum tomorrow if I wanted to. (laughs) If I felt called and compelled to do it, I could change my life that radically. Anything that I want for my life, I can make happen. You might say, well, not anything. Yes, anything, anything. I have the power to change my life every single day. So when I write down those seven pillars of wisdom every day, think about them, contemplate them, I go forth in my day and it's very difficult to have a bad one because I'm not going to eat sugar, so I'm going to feel good in my body. (laughs) I'm going to do good things to my body because I love my body and I want it to take me out to do all of the things that I want to do to let my soul have this great human experience. I'm going to work really, really hard and not waste time worrying about stuff I can't control. Um, I'm going to get to enjoy my inner child shining through. Um, I'm probably going to learn something really great when I read or when I listen to a podcast or I invest in my heart and my mind and my soul. I'm going to get some good exercise in because I'm going to move my body. I'm going to enjoy watching people exhibit their souls instead of feeling like it's my job to make them exhibit their soul in a certain way. I'm going to have the freedom of enjoying watching people be them. I'm excited. Tonight I'm going to happy hour for boot camp. There's going to be, I don't know, 10 or 12 people there. I, I don't have to control any of it. I don't have to. I get to just show up and enjoy watching everyone be themselves. I used to try to manage the situation, curate the experience, make sure people behaved a certain way or didn't say or didn't behave a certain other way. It's so freeing. I'm going to let them all be them. How kind of me, right? (laughs) And I get to walk around knowing that if something compels me to change my life or if I don't like something, that I am empowered to change it. We all are. So those are my seven pillars of wisdom for my life. I encourage you to think about, maybe you can't come up with seven really quick, but I bet as I was talking, you came up with a couple of your own. I encourage you to make a list and write them down. Just like writing down affirmations or writing down what you're going to do in a day, a to-do list. Start with your seven pillars of wisdom. Operate your life based on this little operating manual of wisdom so that you go out and you don't make the same mistakes that you've made before. The greatest part about this is I have made mistakes in all of these departments so many times. And we, especially if we've got patterns from 25, 30 years of being a human, it's not easy to just break old habits. So starting the day by reminding ourselves of this wisdom makes it easier to deprogram those old automatic judgments, those automatic, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, or those worry patterns, or whatever you slipped into before that you ha- made you keep on having to learn these lessons over again. You're going to save yourself from having to start over and over again. So start your day proactively with your own list of wisdom. So I hope you learned something from my list. Feel free to copy any of them if they resonate with you. I'm a human, you're a human. I would imagine some of these lessons are ones that you've learned as well. And uh, just needs to make it to a list to be intentional. Write them every day, say them every day, memorize them and empower your life with the wisdom that you've already gleaned by being a human as long as you've been a human. That's all I have for you. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to post your seven pillars of wisdom or send them to me, I'd love, love, love to hear of them. And if, again, if you didn't come up with seven, I'll take what, two? I'll take three, whatever you got. Just would love to hear from you.
Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.